0: Cammy here. Oh my god, I'm incredibly excited to tell you that you can pre-order my book. I have a book coming up. It is about having an eating disorder and dating the captain of the football team and realizing that I was gay while attending a Catholic college where I could not come out at the same time as all the stuff in the movie Spotlight happened. It is funny, it is serious. It is lovely. It is called Save Yourself. I'm very proud of it. It comes out in March, March 2020, but you can pre-order it right now by going to saveyourselfbook.com. Please get those pre-orders in. It helps me make the New York Times bestseller list. So I am going to mention this probably on every query until March. I'm going to be out uh, doing a big book tour that is yet to be announced, and get behind this book. If you listen to this show, this is, you could do me such a solid. If everybody listened to this show, bought the book, it would be a bestseller It would be a bestseller. So I'm incredibly excited to tell you to go to saveyourselfbook.com and pre-order. Yes, yes. Also, hey, speaking of books, today on the show, my friends Tegan and Sarah Quinn from the band Tegan and Sarah. I got an opportunity to interview them last week and also host their one of their book launch events in Los Angeles. I really think these people are such talented artists and so good at... Speaking on their own behalf. I hope that you enjoy this interview. It's the only time I've had somebody back on the show, but it's because I had interviewed them separately and I thought it was a great chance to bring them back in together. So please enjoy this chat and go grab their book, High School. I've already read it and listened to it, and I loved it. I've been-
1: Sarah needed it. Thank you. And we are ready. Amazing. Just so you know, I signed right here. <laughs> what a thrill. Just so you know. I'm sitting at a table signed by Sarah.
0: <laughs> I, what an honor that must be to be so close to Sarah's signature. I bet it's you all have never cool. seen that from each other. Nope. I always cool. have guests introduce themselves. You know that because you've both been on the podcast separately. Um, but will you introduce yourselves? Yes.
1: Uh, my name is Tegan, and I am Sarah's sister. And I am Sarah, and I am Tegan's sister, younger sister. And we play in a band called Tegan and Sarah.
0: Yes, Younger by just... It doesn't matter. Just like a few, yeah. Don't
1: underestimate how important
0: those eight minutes were for me. Yeah, I I don't. Like in womb time, eight minutes. It was amazing. How does that play out?
1: I mean, I think it was probably extremely distressing. Imagine, (laughs) you come into this world, you're with this... Other baby developing, and then suddenly they're just like, ah, and they just go flying down the tube or whatever it is. <laughs> the tube, and then you're just like, oh, sexuality, shit. sexuality, body, body. What is it called again? Anatomy 101. Teagan went flying down the tube, and I was like, both terrified and also like, it just got a lot better in this apartment, right? And right, so it's definitely Sarah's done a lot played of a role in pre birth therapy, yes.
0: Yeah. that. That's you're being serious, right? I mean, oh, amidst these jokes, this is definitely real. Of
1: course it is. If she, she saw this
0: therapist, Cameron, you got to do it. She, she, this <laughs> it's is does, not true. The
1: therapy said it is it's true. not true. The way she you, does, you, you should have just said it. You set it up too much. It's easy for she me to tell therapy, you no. You do all your talking inside this plastic bag thing and then they pop it at the end and you come down. Oh, <laughs> oh you oh, did the how thing? Oh, down a slide? Interesting. You're, Interesting. Actually, you're actually born. Is the, is the bag popping the placenta tea? And that's not how it works. Where so, <laughs> did you do that thing?
0: You did that thing? What? Come on. No, I did not.
1: I just know <laughs> you should have never agreed to do this with both of us. Listen, it's annoying. I just,
0: no, I'm just. Yeah. <laughs> I just. It want just to feels be very like clear. you guys know each other. You know what I mean? And there's like yeah. going to be a whole rapport thing, and then yeah. here I am, useless. Yeah. But I feel rapport-y with you. Yeah. No, I know. We're actually. I really like you guys. That's just we a like true you. thing. Yeah. Well, that's good because I thought we were friends. We are friends. So, good to know. That's we weird. are really we are friends. Um <laughs> okay. I was listening yesterday. One time to, you watched me eat a donut. What'd you say? One time you watched me eat a donut. That's right. Yeah, we went to we went to whatever that was a <laughs> mm-hmm. restaurant. We well, I also just mean it was it was between meals. It was like a. Yeah. We're, but I'd walked in. You the guys sun, sound right really now. close. Very intimate
1: friendship. <laughs> yeah, close it friends was between meals. We hung out and, and we you had a donut donut between me meals. eat a
0: donut. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Okay, we're gonna behave now. You go ahead and be in charge. <laughs> oh, I mean, i s I'm actually I'm in a zone right now where I'm cool with I'm cool with either of us. But I'll I'll take this one. Oh well, sure, if you want to. I was listening to the book yesterday. Um that's part of that's part of why you're here. The other one is obviously the hang um that we're having, but y'all have a book that is out now as Tomorrow. of now when yeah. this yeah. podcast will be out. Oh shit, sorry. Um, it's out now. Say it again. It's out now. Yeah, it's out now. It's because this is the future. So yeah. it's out now. And I was and it ha- it comes with the audiobook is I don't think I've actually experienced anything like that. Did you have you like, really? a model? You're really listening to it. The audiobook. Yeah, I'm listening to it. Oh, I thought
1: when you said, I've been listening to your book, I thought you just made it like you did the mixy do thing where you think that you're talking about the album, but you're, talking, but you're listening to the audio book. Yes, they sent me the audio book and I started That's listening to it. F- what do you think about it? You're like the first person we know who's listened to the audiobook.
0: Oh, my God. Are you serious? Yes. Oh, um, I have never really heard anything like it. I was thinking it, that because <laughs> I also have copies of the book. I literally have copies of the book. I have an advanced reading copy and then I have like a hardcover like this is the copy. It's my whole house. I've had to move everything out. That's it's how just gay you are. It's like, high uh, wait, Yeah, um, they're just
1: like, it's like how many copies in different formats yes, of exactly. the book you have shows how gay you are. <laughs> exactly.
0: And you guys know I'm level 10 gay. So I have every I have it. I actually do really like to have things on multiple mediums, but um yeah, the audiobook is really unusual because you found while you were writing the book these tapes. Is that what the deal is? Yeah. That's what it says. Yes. Yeah. Where were they? We, Where were the tapes?
1: We went to a storage unit that we have with all our music stuff in it, and we thought we were gonna find cassette tapes with our first bands music. Our first band was called Plunk. Plunk, yes. Yeah. And we had two cassette tapes that we had recorded with Plunk. One was called Who's in Your Band? And the other one was called Play Day. We found neither. And then we thought we might find some Sarah and Tegan tapes, which was our next band before we became Tegan and Sarah. We also found none of those. But what we did find that day was maybe 20 plus hours of VHS um, recordings of us, video that we had shot in the 90s when we were in high school so we have that and then some friends of ours helped us it took almost six months to find all the other tapes it's so weird that we didn't keep any of our music and no one we love kept it either but here we are wow and that stuff that's so in the it, audiobook. yeah, yeah so that's, that's the, what you were yeah. that's what you were telling us about yeah right no you I haven't just heard mean, it
0: does it sound cool it does sound cool it's your voices are so it sounds like you but yeah. you also have you know thicker accents and then um <laughs> Like Canadian accents? hmm Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, which maybe, maybe to you, you don't even have accents. But on the, on the <laughs> tape, you have some thicker accents. And then you also... Um, it sounds like you, but without... We use our vocal cords throughout our life and get calluses mm-hmm. and our voices deepen. We don't talk about this a lot. If people aren't men going through puberty, we don't talk about how like our voices deepen through... Or life and right. change. Right. But you both sound very young. Like you sound very um 16 years old. You sound very 16 years old. I wonder so when you listened to them or saw them, did that did you sound different to you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We I talk, don't talk just about mean content. Accent. Yeah. No. Oh, we, right. I mean
1: yeah, like when I listen to anything from a certain sort of like let's call it like the first f- like four or five years of our career, like to me, we sound really Canadian. And I think I have started to wonder if I have adopted this kind of performative voice that is more American because I was so... I mean, Tegan and I both got made fun of all the time. We would do press and people would be like, oh, how about that? And like, what do you think about that, eh? And so we were just like, well, geez, note to self, like definitely drop all the Canadian stuff because we were getting made fun of. <laughs> and so Americans are rude. But I just think like it <laughs> yes. also taught us how to
0: blend in with you better.
1: <laughs> and 100%. So,
0: and it so is no I, like, there's no doubt in my mind that you absolutely <laughs> changed your
1: like, we did. like no doubt adaptation 101 we were like well, americans so, are very rude to, and so we need to start talking like that so think, i never say drama anymore i never say <laughs> pasta anymore like oh there's something once, else, you know, else that you else did. think they were i think people thought they were teasing us though i do feel the need to oh, tegan is afraid because i'm saying americans are rude listen <laughs> you know, I, they were just teasing alone us in we my kitchen sometimes i make i make pasta and i say to myself i'm making <laughs> just so that I can say it, you know? God. Yeah, well, we sure. We also saying
0: in British accents. That changed, too. Oh, I want to talk about that in just a moment. Yes, Great. I do. Okay. I mean, yeah. I, okay. I hear that you're saying people were thought they were teasing you because you were yes. young. Yes. But that is something that I've, you know, so often thought with, with both of you is the idea that you would have to represent yourself on any level at the age that you were when you started this band and then also at the age that you were when the band started to have success mm-hmm. is totally bonkers to me like I cannot mm-hmm. imagine doing an, an introspective interview about like why I and your songs always you know were very like emotional you know they they were really raw and personal and so it would strike me that the Interview questions would then be like, mm-hmm. "What is this about?" And how serious? But you're, but you're, you know, a team. I,
1: <laughs> I think what I think you're t- you're touching on something that's really that is hard for a lot of people to believe, which is why I'm really glad we have these archival materials. Is that I think there's this idea that what we were thinking about, feeling, singing about that those things were fantasies, like that they were ideas that we had about love or had mm. about life. And I think what is significant, you know, for me anyways, about talking about the book and explaining what had happened to us, like I, between the ages of, of 15 and 18, I had full, romantic, intimate, sexual, and and emotional relationships with women in secret. I was dealing with homophobia. I was dealing with drugs and alcohol. I was dealing with divorce. I was dealing with, you know, violence. I was dealing with trauma. And so the things that we are writing about or thinking about at that time, you know, they're very authentic, um, advanced, kind of experiences. And while we were young and we were sort of filtering them through an adolescent lens, um, I think the music and the the interviews, once you get past the sort of British accents and the sort of Canadian accent, <laughs> you know, what is what sort of is nested there is like is very substantial um, you know, information and, and experience. Mm-hmm. But deeply complex for us to talk about with adults when we were teenagers. Totally. Oh, yeah. And we had you none know, we have, had the language. We had explain no language. yourself language. to us. Yeah, like, yeah. That's,
0: that's exactly what that sounds like.
1: Yeah. And there was such an awkwardness on their part, too, which I didn't understand at that time. And now with, like, 20 years you know, experience, I have some such a different perspective that the majority of the people we spoke to were likely men in their 30s and 40s. And so I can remember receiving a lot of criticism from the queer community when we were in our early 20s, because they felt we weren't gay enough and didn't talk enough about being queer, like as if we had a say over what was printed, like, you know, just a disconnect on how things work. Um, But there also was just such discomfort I think at that at that stage of our career we were so young the journalists were so much older than us there was the vernacular around queer identity and sexuality was so small at that time and so I think a lot of journalists that I spoke to about myself didn't want to dig too deep into the music because there was a an awkwardness, you know, and I think it just made the early part of our career and our association to the industry. Like Sarah and I were so anti-establishment when we graduated high school and got into the industry. And I think part of it was just discomfort. We just didn't, we knew we weren't like everybody else. And so rather than be
0: rejected, we just wanted to make our own path. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I think it's anybody that listens to you know, I listened to something that you wrote now and it's, and it, and it says I was 19 and it's like, Oh, I think you were maybe singing that at an age that is like pretty close to that, (laughs) as opposed to like ABBA singing about a dancing queen who's 17. I think they were maybe like in their late twenties slash 32. Um, So it's just a different sort of a thing. I think uh, for folks to feel nostalgia, but you're like, no, this is like now, you know, I'm, I'm singing it's, about now or whatever. It's also so nice yeah. as you get older and you, you know, you, like, like
1: for Tegan now to sing that song about feeling 19, I mean, there's just all this like adult voice and perspective and context that comes in now when we sing those those songs too. And it, you know, I I always wondered like, are we going to feel weird and creepy about the songs we wrote as teenagers and young adults as we start to get older? I mean, we're almost 40 now. So it's, it is kind of strange sometimes to like sing this material that is about our younger selves or, you know, in the case of the memoir, and and our new album we are writing and um revealing things about ourselves when we were when we were very young when we were 15 16 17 years old like to handle that material required a lot of sort of like tenderness and also like I don't want to exploit 15 year old me who is having sex for the first time with a girl like I don't want to exploit that girl that I was having relationships with and a right. relationship with so you know there's all this kind of like gentle gentle sort of like gentleness that we're sort of like using right now because I I want to talk about these things and I want to talk about them thoughtfully and with a sort of sophisticated emotional intelligence, but I don't want to like also pretend like – I don't know. I don't like when people make this assumption that at 15 years old we don't have these complicated emotional or sexual identities. And and sure. at least for me, I did. And so I don't like this idea that I was like writing in bubble letters in my journal like I like Naomi. You know, like right. that is not what I was thinking about Naomi, right. my like, first secret girlfriend.
0: Yes. And also I mean, I don't know about Naomi specifically, who's in the book. But I n- know you both are still friends with your high school friends. That you're, that you're yeah. both still close with some of the folks that might be in this book. And I just I just wrote a memoir myself. And I will say that it is really strange to try to figure out what you're going to include about other people and what you're going to include mm-hmm. about yourself. Especially for somebody who cares so much about um, queer representation, as I know all three of us do. And trying to figure out like what to be honest about versus what you're talking about this like line of self-exploitation but what what you both did is like this is detailed like this is like a very detailed book it is like you you have some clearly some really strong memories of this time <laughs> like i just I mean it is like it is like you are talking about stuff so in such a visceral way is that just how you remember things or is that just how you remember this time like is this th- is high school so sp- specific in this way or is this how like could you talk this way about your early days touring things like that?
1: I think that it's I think it's safe to say both Sarah and I do have very good memories and we are storytellers by nature and so you know high school but a lot of our life we've spent telling the stories of our life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe it's a product of being so transient and constantly traveling, and so having to tell people about ourselves and tell our story to our friends and family and our activities over and over and over again. We've always had... uh, A passion for documenting ourselves long before there was social media. So starting with our childhood, there's an enormous cache of of documentation. So I will admit that I think we have very strong memories. We are still friends with all our friends from high school. So those memories are pretty fresh because we talk about each other and our experiences a lot. But we also found... I mean, got probably 28 or 30 hours of VHS footage from that time. Yeah. Our friends were incredibly generous. They sent us anything they'd kept from that time. So we had countless journals and notes. I mean, I connected with an old friend who I hadn't seen since high school and she showed up to the dinner with a binder with 50 notes Sarah and I would written her that <laughs> like laid out our entire grade 10 experience. So yes. we had a lot of help writing the book in that sense. I also sat down with most of the key people in the book and interviewed them all. Some of gave me four or five hours of their time we scanned wow. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of photos over the uh, 18 months that we were working on the book so so we had a lot of help we didn't just sit down don't picture us in a forest with i'm literally but like our how the
0: fuck did they yeah. remember this
1: yeah <laughs> got no, it we, crowdsourcing a lot like we had a you lot to, the to team. pull from yeah we we, we almost like wrote the book. and there was an enormous amount of research that happened, mm-hmm. but but I but I again I will stress that like I think we do just remember a ton from our lives and I, and the last thing that you said about was it just a like really memorable time or significant like it was we yeah. established that we were queer we had our first significant relationships we established that we were creative that we could write music yes we. Started writing music, became famous overnight in a strange way, using air quotes in in our hometown of Calgary, and right. got offered a record deal. I mean, it's a significant time. Our parents split up. We ex- spent years experimenting with drugs and alcohol. Like we, it was a very memorable time. I understand why most people want to forget high school. Um, I understand why a lot of people would never revisit their past. But I think for us it is a special time it was a tough time but it was but it was a really significant time and i think we understood that there was great purpose in sharing the story of our establishing who we were and and so yeah. it was worth returning to
0: you know i i actually can really relate to that i my the time in my life i have pulled the most from creatively mm-hmm. is a very similar time i mean i was like a, a little bit skewed a little bit older because it was like early college, like, at the beginning of it to to mid-20s. Yeah. Um, but very similar, like, set of things, figuring out the purpose, like, what I thought I wanted to do and who I thought I wanted to do this with, and then also, like, sort of a breakdown of the culture that I'd grown up in, realizing I mm-hmm. didn't want to be Catholic, like, all those things. That, so, it's writing about something that is as significant as that, to me, felt like... Um, because that's kind of the it it felt freeing to it feels freeing to pull from that time it also sometimes makes me feel a little bit like I can't catch up with myself and I'm I'm like when will I get over this you know like that's like that's that other side of it you know yeah
1: exactly I feel like I could write another book about high school how (laughs) fucked up is that
0: no I mean that's that, that's exactly I accidentally what I told saying. my
1: stepdad, Bruce, that the book, the first draft was over 500 pages, and he keeps texting me, asking me to please send him the, f- the full the unedited full- version. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and I'm like, I feel you, Bruce. Do you yeah. know there's also this kind of like interesting. I, I don't know if I've ever had this experience before. I mean, I've had it briefly when I'm writing music, but there was something really meditative and also very rigorous about the mental part of writing the book that i felt um quite like even on a subconscious level i felt really deeply immersed in the in the story and in that time period like i actually i'm a i'm a big dreamer i'm a, like a vivid dreamer person i really i Go deep into my dreams, and I remember them. They're very detailed. And um, during the time when we were writing the memoir, I dreamed of myself as a young person again. I dreamed about people who who we'd lost, people who had died. Um, I dreamed in the in the spaces that I was writing about, and so I did feel like there was this like really deep tissue kind of thing happening for me. And I remember when we find when we handed in our final draft of the book, I felt a sort of grief actually about um, about leaving. Tegan as a young person and my mom and my stepdad, because that was the last time we all lived together in the same house. And I, in some ways, I I don't remember feeling any of that when it was actually happening. Like I was so deeply excited, anxious, desperate to get out of that house, out of that city, out of that prison of my own closeted shame and all of that stuff. And I while I was terrified, I was also like desperate to get on get on with it. And yeah. in revisiting all that material, I actually sort of suffered a, a kind of different grief where I I I I longed for and missed my family in a way that I hadn't for years. And I um and i almost didn't want to stop writing about it or thinking about it however even though it was painful like i felt in there was a lot of this process i think even a little bit more than tegan i mean i i was in therapy and i was processing a lot of the trauma that had happened to me as a young person and some of which didn't i didn't want to put in the book and i didn't want to process with the public um, i was really specific about wanting to talk about my queer identity um without going into some of the other stuff that had really upset me or bothered me or, or traumatized me as a young person but so I was also processing a lot of that and I just was like I I really resonate with what you said like I I really remember sitting in therapy and being like good god like I just spent a year writing about this time period of my life I lived through it will I ever get past it what mm-hmm. do I? how do I get through this but I have a question like I mean for both of you but 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 just responding to what you said, Cameron, like, but I wonder if we're really obsessed with that time in our lives, not just because it was seminal and significant and in some cases traumatizing and informative, but... But also because there were no stories like ours at that time for us to relate to. And so the way that we can attach to characters, stories, movies, celebrities, idols, musicians now and see ourselves reflected. There was such an absence of that in our young lives that I wonder if our desire to go back and mine that and to share is just a desire to finally have something to contextualize what, hap- like what we experience, good and bad. Like it Absolutely. Just, we didn't have any of that. So we're creating something now that we can attach. To. I, don't, I don't know if like... If well, that's- I mean, that's
0: absolutely true. And I think it's one thing that's so interesting about you both working on this project is the... You know, folks can come see you perform live because you're on, you're going on tour. They can like listen to your record at home. They can read this book or they could listen to the audiobook and like hear your old voices, you know, your younger voices. <laughs> and then also they could go back and find like... Your early albums, and then they can listen to the con 10 and like listen to your later voices singing your early songs. Like, you have you are all, um, the two of you are really creating like a full, um, like your own universe of things that it's like the Marvel universe where the stuff where <laughs> we're exactly, exactly like Marvel, where, exactly, <laughs> we're stuffed, but where things refer back, you know, yeah, to yeah. each other and to themselves. And I think to your point about like how much space there is in the world around queer identity. It's literally like we could have this record be like a seminal record in our career. We could also like re-release it with artists that we love covering those songs. And like, there's enough space For both of those things, because there's very, because there are very few people still today that are occupying the space that you both are in, you know? So it's literally like you can make work about your work. Like that is actually, um, there's (laughs) a need for it. it. (laughs) (laughs) especially
1: when you feel like the first time around, I mean, I'm borrowing this from like, I I had seen a, a few people say this online and I thought to myself, geez, that's like, that's really accurate. But I don't think we've ever been shy about the fact that we didn't. Feel realized or understood in the early part of our career, or in the early part of our lives, and when you don't feel that, it nags at you. And I think this desire to go back and number one, most importantly, I wanted to go back and look at that time period of my life and decide for myself what I remember feeling about it, thinking about it. I wanted to hear the music again. I wanted to see the video again. I w- I didn't want that that sort of distorted monster under the bed feeling i had about high school to exist anymore yes. i wanted to go back and force myself to look at those memories to look at my body to look at to oh listen to that music and i wanted to i wanted to see it again and reprocess it and then reprocess it again and again and again until i felt like i could really see myself and and go on tour and play that footage <laughs> in front of an audience and not want to die no but i think yeah. it's like i think that's a significant sort of like um a sort of a, a really like therapeutic process and then and then and then publicly i wanted to force the people who i felt had not seen us the first time i want them to go back and see us again and i want them to look at us again and tell me that they don't see something different than they did the first time That's because so to wild. me it feels
0: real <laughs> so what was the last thing you said
1: I feel like we all should go back and reprocess that time. I want want journalists to do it. I want the fans to do it. And I want to do it. And I want to do it because I just, I feel like it might be the only way for me to get over how misunderstood, misrepresented, how the homophobia that existed, the misogyny that existed in that, that we were being oh critiqued God. through that very specific lens. And I I, I want, I demand to be reconsidered. I want my art to be reconsidered through today's
0: 2019 lens. So you have become the adult that took your teen self seriously. I, I thank you for putting it
1: so succinctly. I feel like for the first time, I realized that that narrative in my brain was not my own.
0: Mm-hmm. It was
1: it was the society and the culture and the adults who – like, you know, our first press, I really, really sort of like – I couldn't get over our early press because – and I never could exactly tell people why. I mean, I could tell them lots of things about why I felt upset. But all of a sudden, I'm sitting in therapy. I'm 38 years old, and I'm crying, and I'm saying – I'm telling my therapist about what people you would say about us. And all of a sudden, I realized, like, these were 30, 40, 50-year-old men talking about my 17-year-old body, my 17-year-old songs, my 17-year-old heart, and it suddenly made me feel enraged. And I just thought to myself, I want to protect the younger me, and I want to give the younger me the credit I think I deserve, and part of... That process was, like, learning, like, as much as, like, this sounds like very, like, touchy-feely therapy, I needed to go back and learn how to love myself and see myself without all of that bullshit that I felt when I was 17. Mm -hmm. Like, I read a bad review where somebody would, like, say – there was a review when we were in high school in grade 12. We were in the biggest music magazine in Calgary, and there was a – we were on the cover of the magazine – and there was a huge, big, long article with us. And the whole first page of the article is about how much this guy hates the kind of music we make. He literally says, I have to go and get like basically pissed drunk to listen to this kind of music. And then he talks about how. But then he loves it. But then he loves us and he's so surprised. And yes, sure, fine. We, we don't sing very well and our guitar playing is pretty rudimentary, but like he thinks we're the future of this kind of music. And I think about it now and I thought, like, what a compliment at 17. I just thought to myself, lucky me. That this guy was able to withstand the horror of listening to our music <laughs> and saw a future for us. Thank, thank you, sir. And now I'm at 38. I'm like, you're a dick face. Like, fuck you. You know, like, <laughs> well, like, like, what kind of music journalism
0: is that? It's you know? the whole thing. I mean, yes, of course. I've actually been thinking about this a lot recently. (laughs) I've been thinking a lot about how um, for a long time, and I certainly have done interviews about this and tried to like relate to um, older male comics who might be doing the interview or even like some, or or it's a straight woman or it's another queer person. Um, I have for a long time, I think, talked about my coming out. Um. With like a distance, almost like it was really bad. You know, like I have jokes about it mm-hmm. um, to take the like gut punch out of it. I um, talk about, I, you know, I'll say the sentence, it was really bad. And then now things are great because that's the next mm-hmm. question that people ask. You know, like, mm-hmm. well, how? it's always, it's, you know, the focus on how'd your family take it. But then there's the focus on and how is that now? And it's like. Well i'm like fully an adult now so my my folks are like chill with me because they wouldn't they wouldn't be in my life if they were mm-hmm. if this was a problem i'm an i'm an adult like it's not you know but um the And I, and this, this I think has an application to a lot of what we're talking about now as a community, because I even hear queer people constantly minimize the process that young people are going through right now. It's better now. Like, that's the same as this sentence that I was saying of like, Mm -hmm. it was bad, but it's better now. Like, we just, Mm -hmm. I think we're, you know, all obsessed with following this like sort of straight narrative that like, we've you know we've survived it or whatever like yeah. individually we've survived it or as a culture we're in a different place and mm-hmm. we really don't get to spend any time at the be- beginning of that sentence about like well, no, when you like straight things- up, we got like shit was fucking bad and i yeah. was dropped by the people and places that i trusted the only people and places that i trusted and i know in your situation it wasn't exactly the same but there's there's like there are multiple tracks that are uh you all or your or folks around you like talking about the concept of homosexuality in yeah. the audiobook and you know like I hear the pain in that and yeah. yeah. It's, it's a complex it's a complex It's it's
1: it's really interesting to me to think about where the desire to make it okay for everybody comes from. You know, so when we talk about coming out or coming to terms with our identity or sexuality, or when we talk about the early part of our career, there was a long stretch where I wanted to make it less uncomfortable for the people who loved us and cared about us and the people who work for us who were there. I, w- I want to get past. I do I do have a desire to get past all of that and stop bringing it up and stop being upset about it. A couple years ago, I got together all the quotes and we had someone help us do this too, like searched through all of our early press to find all the really disgusting things that people said about us so that we could make a t-shirt and like sell it and then like donate the money. And I felt resistance on every level, even people who work for us, even Sarah. I felt like there was resistance because it's like, don't alienate all these publications because it was enemy, pitchforks. That wasn't why I was upset. No, that's what I'm saying. There was a variety of reasons why people didn't want to do this. But for me, it wasn't, I'm not, I wasn't thinking about anyone else for myself. For me, creating this shirt and and acknowledging all the things that were said about us and then putting it out into the world, like owning it and saying, This is the things people said about us and look at we 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 made it anyway. Yeah. And we thrived and survived and benefited and all these other bands I wanted to be compared to and all these other bands that we were left out of the scene and like and and we're never good as they're gone and we're still here. And not in like a we're like last lesbian standing way. Like in a <sighs> Like in a cool, hip, relevant, still really growing kind of way. Yeah, you are cool. And I wanted cool. to put the shirt out. Yeah, <laughs> and I wanted to put the shirt out as a way to say, like, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed of what people said about us. Yeah. And I'm not even intentionally trying to shame those people. I'm saying, like, look at how much has changed. Like, you wouldn't get away with saying these things about us now. I mean, people can, but not publications, not not reputable music publications mm-hmm. like that did it, you know, even 10 years ago. I mean, I and for, think, and oh, for me, the desire to make everybody feel okay about that—to stop wiping the slate clean, to to mm-hmm. not look back, to not make our managers or the people who worked on our project or the bandmates who laughed along—to try to make it seem okay. Like, I just, I want to make it better for everybody, but I think I've hit the point in my life where I don't care if it's uncomfortable to go back and talk about coming out as hard or a mm-hmm. career as hard or being criticized or being out as hard. And and I think, you know, very long-winded way of saying that I think that that's a battle that I'll always f- sort of be waging inside of myself. Like, I want to admit how hard it is. I don't want to have to be over it. I, don't, I want to be okay with saying... I felt really uncomfortable and it it felt really unfair. But maybe you can't be over it until, like, I mean, you made a really good point about... Which one of us, Cameron Cameron. (laughs) Tegan's always making great points. (laughs) No, but you made a really great point about... I just wanted to know if I should smile and say thank you or (laughs) if I should just... (laughs) No, no, you're making a good point. But I think, you know, Cameron, you said the thing about, like, also, too, when things get better... I think there is this sort of I mean that we can talk about this in 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 w- with any community who has been marginalized discriminated against we can talk about this with you know in any kind of sort of historical context but like when things improve no matter how small the improvement is there is a desire both within the community and outside of it to sort of focus on the good stuff of course let's not go back and dwell on the bad stuff but what if you never even got to talk about what made you feel bad like I didn't get to talk about the fact that i cried and you know and and felt i mean small and scared and ashamed in those situations i didn't get to talk about that i i didn't get well, to share that with you anybody the, i'm going to get the shirt made for you no i don't <laughs> want to do i don't want to do the shirt because for me i also think it was a process for me that i didn't want I wanted to talk about my own shame and homophobia and I wanted to talk about my own trauma before I used other people's words to remind people of what it used to feel like for me. I did Wait, yeah, so I, does that mean we could do the shirt now? I mean, now I'd probably do the shirt. But I think Amy, did you hear that? Yeah, I mean, just, get the <laughs> shirts being made. Get, get the, the shirt. The trauma I would shirt like ready. to please have a shirt. shirt. You we'll know, call it the trauma shirt. Know, I'm going to send I you one Cameron. Really, I'll
0: send you 3. Yes, you, I really I am going to say it was not a shirt, but I have had this same instinct to yeah. um You know, something that I did for a while was if somebody would say something, I didn't even do it that many times, but if somebody would say something truly horrible, then, like, I would tweet that out, you know, like, uh, take a screenshot of it. Mm. And um, that was years ago. And it just never, Mm -mm. it never gave me what I wanted. There was never uh, because what I wanted, what was always difficult for me about it (laughs) was that the response would be either like silence, um, Mm -hmm. like shut up or, um, oh, my God, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. This right, one yeah. time, essentially. Yeah. And you're I like, I still right. feel like this sort of is the vibe that we like. Oh my God. I can't believe this hat. Oh my God. I can't believe this, like, sort of shock. And, um, that's actually why I don't really talk about this stuff because I think the only thing that would feel good to me is not, and I can't control people's reactions, so I just have to share it with people that are more safe <laughs> than in no. the universe. Because the only thing that would feel no. good to me is for somebody to <laughs> say, "Oh my god, I can't believe this is what your entire experience of the world is." You know, like, right, I, like right, that's right, right. like it's not it's not this, I have this very typical like, comment.
1: It's I want like someone to like flip everything. out. Like I want to like tell a straight person like I feel really upset because of homophobia, and they just go mad. Like they just like flip yes. a, like a Couch over, yes! and they're like, like I just want them to flip out, and then you go like, oh my god, calm down, it's okay, I'm fine. Like
0: that might maybe even other queer people, even other queer people, because I do feel yeah. sometimes that even other queer people just like it, like that's folks our fight that are, that, have, but that's that's our fight distance. though.
1: Like I will, I would say like Tegan, I I'm so upset about this thing, and Tegan would go. Can we just, like, can we put it under the rug? Like, can we just leave it alone? Like, we would have that battle with each other because there was times in Tegan's life where she was like, hey, it got better, Sarah. I don't know if you
0: heard about it, but well, it did. Hashtag I it got better. don't have a twin, and so I've had that fight <laughs> within my own body. By the way, just in case, if you don't have a counterpoint out there in the world, this conversation (laughs) of, like, focus on the good and, like, it got better and, like, let's move forward and, like, no, fuck, fuck this. Like, people need to know about this. Like, that, I think that's every, you know, to your point about people from marginalized community, I think that's literally, like, the... Yes. The, like,
1: Do you think I'm even wheel done it in this, this interview? interview. I'm, <laughs> I'm already. I was so into this, and then I'm already. Like I'm like the two of you need to get over it. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that <laughs> right. can happen. I'm like, five tell five us minutes. to shut the fuck up. Move shut on. the fuck up. Move on. I want to say. Can I just say one final thing about this? This has also been something that but this is the final <laughs>
0: thing. If you ever bring it up again, I will don't ever bring it up again. Will I'll activate never bring the it up trap again. door that is
1: under your seat. What I've also learned about myself is that in talking about these things, what I was really avoiding talking about was how much I hated myself. It was always about how other people hated me. It was always about the world at large. It was always about, well, I had this one experience and it made me feel really, really, really bad. Oh, I'm so sorry that experience happened to you. Geez, I still feel like garbage. And I think what I have struggled with is talking about my own homophobia, my own internalized homophobia. And I don't mean I hate gay people, I mean I hate myself. And so in those experiences, when I would read these terrible things, what I struggled with was that it proved to me it was evident it was this like huge file folder in my brain that was proving Yes, you are this crappy person. Yes, you are gross. Yes, the feelings that you've had since you were a little kid are bad. They're wrong. Mm-hmm. There's something about you that deserves this. And I think in talking about my own homophobia, I have felt that weight lessen. And I feel yeah. like the more that I think about when I when I was able to assign a reason like why do I why do I feel all this self-hatred? Oh, That is part of feeling homophobic. I feel this way because people made me feel bad, or I associated really bad things with being gay before I even knew that I was gay or that I was associated. Like, you know, I've been, Tegan, I'm sure will be horrified by this, but like one of the things that I started to realize people have been asking me and Tegan a lot like representation questions. Like, did you have representation when you were young? Did you have books like the one you wrote? And I was like, no, I didn't. And I was like, and someone asked me, like, do you remember when you learned about homosexuality? Like, and I'm not talking about, like, little kids calling each other gay on the, on the playground. like. And for me, I know that I learned about homosexuality. I learned the word homosexuality because of Jeffrey Dahmer. The serial killer who oh killed Oh my God!
0: I, you don't have to tell me who Jeffrey Dahmer is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Dissolving bodies. I was in third
1: grade. I was in third grade, mm. and I was I used to read the Calgary Sun because mm-hmm. we had a, we had a subscription to the Calgary Sun. I loved the Calgary Flames, the hockey team, and I would read the, the stats and scores, and that sort of evolved into reading the newspaper, which was a little above my emotional. I shouldn't have been reading the newspaper front to back unsupervised, but I was. No offense to my parents, but like little too much darkness in there. And during the summer where all the stuff with Jeffrey Dahmer was happening, stuff with Jeffrey Dahmer was happening, I was figuring out what homosexuality was and starting to make a loose link to what I was. So like that is and that's not an anecdote. That's not me trying to be funny. That is how I this like, you know, if you go back into your origin story and your earliest memory of what you might be is a serial killer who eats other gay people. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah that's yep there's a lot to unpack <laughs> that's there. also in
1: the marvel universe but yes. it's like there's a lot to unpack there and it's like so when i start to think about like where does my homophobia come from where does yeah, my deep right. deep cellular discomfort come from it's because i didn't have any good feelings g- any good examples any yeah. good stories nothing and you have to right. unpack that you have to talk about that and unpack it. i mean for yeah. me
0: a lot of this is also tied to um Misogyny for me, sure, misogyny intersects with my um, homophobia in like such a strong way because I mm-hmm. was never enough of a woman in a culture where like women were really just for babies um, and modeling. Honestly, Catholics don't even give a shit about modeling. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> my enough. specific culture, straight up, just for babies. Or Jesus you be was a the nun. only model. Yes, yeah, yeah. could be, be a Got nun, it. sort of, but. Okay. Um, I, uh, (laughs) sort of, yeah, sort of, sort of, that's okay. Um, I'm, I'm curious about having like seen the, well, first of all, the way you are describing yourselves in the book, like, like getting first bras or having like really long hair. And then Mm -hmm. there's photos that go along with that. And, Mm -hmm. um, y'all look like normal goofball teens like you look very Mm -hmm, of the era you know Mm -hmm. um and then I see you both today I know how you present yourselves and I also know that it like really has changed over time with different albums and also as you've gotten older um what is it like to for you to see the pictures of those people and then be sort of trying to figure out where to position yourself as you go and sell this book. Like, I just I, – I that was – I, like, opened it up and was like – because I had seen some of the – um like, the publicity photos. Like, I'd seen some of the photos that you, you were doing and the look that you have right now, which is sort of like a more soft makeup than mm-hmm. I've seen in the past from some of you – from some of the other stuff that you've done, and then you both have kind of um, – what is this, chin-length hair right now? And so it's like, like other chin times, in, well, other times you've had like, I, I have like a fucked headphone fucked up length. hair. Yeah, headphone-length hair. Yeah, Other times you're like, I have a fucked Slightly up like above punk the hair. hair or yeah. like, you know, like really intense eye makeup or something. And yeah. you're just kind of looking like adult humans, but also you're looking um maybe more feminine in the face than somet- oh. sometimes I've seen your makeup look. So like, yeah. what does this all feel like? Well, I'll say this. First of all, that,
1: I think we do look like normal teenagers too. And I think that's how I knew it was okay to go back and write this book was that it had been long enough and there was enough distance that when I look at the pictures, I see very sweet, very cute, very normal looking teenagers. And I hate this word normal though. Well, normal meaning like we were really weird. We're wearing like like gigantic raver pants. And what I'm saying is that up until this point in my life – When I looked back at that era of photos and that time in my life, I felt disgusted with myself. I was like, ugh, we dress so gross. I have so much acne. My hair is so ugly. Why didn't I get a haircut? You know, why did I dress like that? Now I look back and I'm like, we just look like teenagers. We just, we look sweet. I'm sorry for the
0: word normal. You're right to push back on that word. (laughs) I think I'm simply. Shame on you. Let me, allow me to to further illustrate what I mean. (laughs) You know how there's like one person in high school who like really knew how the fuck to do their hair and like really knew how to like tweeze their eyebrows in a way that was like completely in alignment with what culture Culture. expected and where you looked at them and you said I assume you have found your look and will keep this forever and they do and we had some friends like that (laughs) that was not me in high school and based on these photos this also was not you
1: no it wasn't us and you know a big part of Again, like a big part of going back and writing this book was as Sarah said earlier, rewriting this narrative that had been written by everybody else that we had adopted as our own because I, you know, I think that for us a really big transition happened as soon as we graduated. Literally on our 18th birthday, which was 2 months after we graduated, we shaved our heads and yes. we sort of became kind of anti-establishment. We we kind of decided that we wanted to f- kind of forge our own path and and embrace our alternativeness and we weren't yet out but I think this was like our first step towards acknowledging that we were going to be different and that that was going to entail a different path for us than maybe other people like that we were friends with but also other artists and I think for me when it came time to sort of look at how to market this new book High School but also the record, Hey I'm Just Like You starting with the title itself was this um this tonal energy and mood of getting down off the stage, getting down off the platform that we've sort of been put up on, but also have helped build for the last 20 years and become one with like our audience and the world and culture and our community and mm-hmm. ourselves and and return back to time where we weren't, you know, iconic, international yeah, pop rock duo, absolutely. Tegan and Sara and just kind of just be us again. And, you know, kind of just, I mean, there's definitely a nod to that time in the way that we're, you know, strategically dressing, I guess, but also that's just happening in mm-hmm. culture right now. I feel like there's just like people like the 90s again. 90s are it's back. Like, cool. We don't have to wear super skin tight jeans. We can have maybe a slight taper. That's great. Right. But, you know, like, I don't know. Like, we're kind of just embracing it. But I think, I think part of it is just, yeah just returning to a bit more of our core self. this is so
0: funny because I feel like we are somehow on this extremely parallel journey when you were talking (laughs) about that something I've thought about in the last couple of years is how like I don't get to be at my shows I think I've even talked to you both about this or Deegan specifically you I think we've talked about this it's like I don't mean that I think I'm the world's most significant artist, but I simply mean that I created the atmosphere that I wanted to exist in the world, but I don't get to be you'll at nev- that show. You'll never get to I go to, get show. to get the show. You'll never get to experience audience. And so for wow. me, when you're talking about getting down off the stage, that is literally something I have done this year is mm-hmm. gone and sat in the audience because there's a feeling of like, I, w- I didn't feel heard. So then I took up some space to shout for a while and then I felt a little bit more heard by my community, but I felt fucking apart, you know? And I was yeah. tired of feeling apart. So yeah. Hey, we're just like you. Same. <laughs> we're all you know what's also just trying interesting to figure out is, how to have community. Totally. Mm-hmm. But also we really I think
1: Sarah and I were at the part of the career. Sarah said this uh now like a month or two no like a month ago or something on stage at this event that we were doing but she was like we're past the part of giving a fuck what anyone thinks like and Mm. not in a bad way not in a mean like i'm gonna do something bad and i don't care and there's no consequence like meaning we're we're just at it's cliche but we hit the age where it's just like i don't know we're good we're good at what we do. We're going to keep putting everything that's we are right. into the thing, and you're either going to really like it or you're not. But we're not we're not going to strategically make ourselves into the thing that we think people will want, even if it's an alternative thing. And the other thing that's happening is that Sarah and I have been around long enough that we are not that, and we're the kinds of artists like I'm done if if I'm just going to play the same game over and over again. I don't want to do it if I'm bored, if I'm not 100 percent invested. Then what is the point of doing this? And that's a really thrilling and also terrifying place to be in in your career. And you know we we're about to go out tomorrow night is going to be i think that tomorrow night's the first show i mean now when this airs it won't be but yeah we're about to go out on this tour and do something really different than we've ever done and you know we have all these surprises in store for people but it's also a surprise for us like what will it feel like we're singing each other songs on stage there were points where sarah's not on stage and i'll be on stage alone which we've never done and sarah's on stage without me and we it's just it feels really uncomfortable and that feels really exciting because sure and in, in addition to never getting to participate in the culture that we helped to build and create I also never get to experience what it's like to be my own person which you and I have also talked a lot about like yeah. I'm oh and and Sarah and I are in a very respectful like You know, tug of war at all times for space for ourselves in this, you know, duo that we appreciate being in and this collaboration that we've thrived in. But I think for the first time in our career, we're taking steps to try to really actually stand out on our own. And the book was a part of that. You know, we're on the page, one singular voice at a time. And that's really scary. For the first time, you can really hear Sarah's voice and you can
0: really hear mine. Well, I know that you both have a hard out. And so I want to just ask you before you head back into your day to shout out a queero person, place or thing made you feel like you can be who you are today. And, um, do either of you have one? I'm like, mm. Sarah, one?
1: <laughs> I'm trying to think of like something that sort of ties into the, to the era of that, of, of this book and, and, mm-hmm. and album. I think, you know, as much as I talk about how there was a lack of representation, I mean, there were little glimpses for me of things that, um, that gave me a little bit of hope. Sort of not for the reason you would expect. Ani DeFranco was really interesting to me when I was a teenager. She didn't play the kind of music that I was listening to, but I remember having that ping of like, mm-hmm. this is something, this is something. Like, while it doesn't look, sound, interact with me the way that all the other things I'm interested in, you know, I, I, sh- I should investigate this further. And um, specifically Living and Clip, the live album, I, I was thinking about this while I was writing the memoir, but... Um, growing up in our family, we listened to Bruce Springsteen live a lot. Like sure. he, he had like a live album, and I was I loved live albums. I loved the sound of an audience. That was like r- that was like thrilling to me. Like I can remember because you were picturing yourself as the artist sometimes, so. and <laughs> just like the just the the sort of like fierceness and the sort of like vastness of like a huge audience cheer. Sure, just I, you know probably that's how like people get like. Yeah, that's probably like guys get excited at sports games or whatever. Like I would get excited listening to like Bruce Springsteen, like get a cheer in like an arena. And girls get excited by sports, too. I know. But sure. I was thinking. Yes. Yeah.
0: I know it's a problematic. You interview. know what? <laughs> fine,
1: fine. I'm sure lots of lots of girls lay awake at night listening to the sound uh, of, a, of a football a football crowd cheering and yes, get excited. But yes. so, anyways. But I used to get excited by that, and um, it was occurring to me as I was thinking about Annie DeFranco and what it, what she meant to me when I was in high school because I didn't know that much about her sexuality beyond that somebody said that she was bisexual in some interview. But what thrilled me about her was that in her li- living in clip in her live um, recordings the audience sounded really different than the Bruce Springsteen audience. I wouldn't have made this association probably at the time, but her audience sounded like women. Sure. That makes sense. Yes. And I think as a young person, it was probably the first time that as I was laying in bed, listening to something that I heard the sound of a different kind of an audience, like a different kind of like click or different kind of scene. And I, I don't, I wouldn't have known to think like I didn't I didn't have words for that. I didn't have a shape for that at the time. But, like, I think it did signal something that was, like, different to me. Mm-hmm. And that was... um, And that was... I don't know. I When I look back at Ani DeFranco, like, I di- I sort of had, like, a brief love affair with Ani DeFranco, like, um, like musically. Like, I sort of, like, listened to her during a very specific time. And then I kind of, like, moved into a very different genre of... I listened to, like, weird electronic music. Like, I don't listen to Ani DeFranco. But... She we is... got it. She's kind of, like, a hero. <laughs> no, but I just mean, like, Jeez. she's remained... Guys... Sarah doesn't listen, loves and respects Sonny DeFranco, but it's not her kind of music. She likes electronic music. She likes NPR. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah,
1: but I just mean like she's remained this significant holdover for me because like a lot of the music I listened to in high school I wouldn't like I don't no no offense to Smashing Pumpkins and Billy Corgan but like I would not be like Billy Corgan's still my hero like he was my hero when I was 15 but like I don't think a lot about Billy Corgan very much in my life anymore but like Ani DeFranco remains this kind of glimmer of hope for me from my adolescence Mm -hmm. that not just because of the music or sexuality but because she was living this kind of life I think I knew would be something would jive with me
0: yeah that's right yeah I think she's gotten into some like some like uh white people nonsense in the last couple of years but before that oh. happened I uh introd her at uh an event for the women's March and it's funny because I just feel like that person whenever she meets anybody who looks like they were maybe alive in the 90s like it's like literally we didn't even say anything to each other I'm just like you know what you did <laughs> you know like like Anita Franco is like that's so she was there was no one else. you know what I, so anyway there yes. was nothing else yeah. it was just yeah. it was huge yeah, yeah, it yeah. was totally huge Tegan, and would she would go? swear oh. in her
1: songs oh i loved her sorry Yeah
0: no that's I'm going to pick
1: like I I'm just really sh- I'm sh- like I'm going to use a teenager word but I'm like very shook by what's happening in in queer music like LGBTQ identified artists like yeah. that are blowing up right now there's just this like unbelievable scene of artists and I'm just so like all of them impress me so deeply you know a lot of it is not just because they're really talented and they're doing really great and they're doing this dance with the mainstream that's really cool Mm -hmm. uh, that looks familiar and and um, but it's also how they're how they're bringing in their personal lives and how they're bringing in their identity because there's been lots right. of really successful queer artists over the last two decades, but they've been very, like, hesitant to bring up their lives. They really didn't want to be perceived as just a queer artist, which is I, I completely understand. I go through that lot, a, a lot of times, too. But, like, I love how... I love the narrative around Shora's new record about falling in love and speaking so specifically about her relationship. And I love Muna's, like, attempt at, like... Like you know, I, they're being cheeky, but that they're creating heroes for themselves in themselves like this uh, the the sort of like levels of self-love there or mm-hmm. the way that Brandy Carlisle, again doing this pretty wild dance with the mainstream right now in commercial music and commercial communities, but then is constantly talking about her wife and children online. And I right. just I'm, I'm just deeply impressed with just how how quickly some of these artists, have not just embraced, like like I think about Janelle Monet and what a journey she's been on the last couple of years, and that she didn't just embrace who she is, how she's just consistently pushing the boundary mm-hmm. of where and how much. And I it just it's really, it's pretty awesome. Like i yeah, I think they're all pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. Well I'm really I wanna really congratulate you both on the book. Um you have individually very impressive vocabularies, and you have, and you write beautiful prose, which is like <laughs> no um, no surprise to me um, because because I care about your writing in general. I was not surprised to find that I cared about your writing um, in a in a in book form. So a huge congratulations! It's it's really big and brave to branch into a new medium, and I'm excited for you on the tour. And um, as you know, Tegan Rain Quinn, Sarah Kirsten Quinn. I consider you individual people. Thank you both for spending time with me today. <laughs> I, uh, I I wish you good luck with the rest of the, of your press. Thanks, Cameron. Thank you. Cheers.